Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. That was angelic. Was it not? Jasmine, you were quite the angel sent from above. You too, Ty. And you, miss. <laughs> the trio of angels. How are we doing, good people? What a delight to be with you here at Queen's Beach. And so, Pastors Steve and Nicole, they embody beyond, right? You are here as a result of the courage, the bravery and the faith of this incredible couple. And so this church exists because of the Go Beyond Heartbeat, because of the legacy and the history and the mandate and the stamp of that, which has spanned literally over four decades. And Pastor Steve and Nicole have stepped out in faith in that. So you guys smell like beyond <laughs> even if you don't think you do you smell like beyond you taste like beyond you are a result of this beyond heartbeat and so I just want to again thank and honor this incredible couple can I tell you that church planting is the hardest gig it's the hardest deal pioneering spiritual soil is not for the faint-hearted faint-spirited and so this couple their great testament their longevity in this space their courage in this space their faith in this space is to be honoured so can we thank them this morning this afternoon and you too people that are here as well who have been here I know many of you since the beginning of QB and have then joined the ranks along the way. You were part of something special. You were part of a, a great history and a great legacy. So thank you as well for continuing to show up. And so let me tell you a little story. So a few weeks ago, BC, before COVID, that was in our family, so we refer to it as before COVID. Uh, we were in beautifully brisk Tasmania for our C3 National Conference, along with Pastor Nicole, and it was the first time we'd been on a plane for about two and a half years, so we weren't very match fit. Forgot how to fly, forgot what that looked like, forgot what packing was, forgot how to go to an airport, the whole thing felt a bit bizarre. And we landed in Tasmania for our National Conference. And we stayed at this comfortable and delightful, but let us say quite quaint accommodation. And so on the second morning, I am up very early because we had 6.30 a.m. pre-meetings. And so it was around 5.40 a.m. It is dark. It is cold. It is very brisk because we are in Tasmania. And I am in the bathroom about to get ready. And at the corner of my eye, I glance up near the shower, which I haven't made my way into yet, I see a huntsman the size of my hand. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Emma Schroeder's hands, they are bizarre. I have the longest fingers known to man, and I can do an ET finger that actually looks like an ET finger. And so this huntsman is this large, up here in the corners of the bathroom. Now, a number of thoughts roll through your head when you're scared, nervous. My first thought, bizarrely, was how did you get there? Because I'm thinking, 
I can't see an open window, there's no air convents, there's no holes in the wall. So does that mean that this huntsman has been living with us for the better part of three days? Does that mean that the huntsman has maybe been in our bedroom while we've slept? Does that mean maybe the huntsman has crawled across my bed in the middle of the night? Does that mean the huntsman has made its way maybe through my suitcase just to entertain itself? I'm thinking all of these things as I see this enormous huntsman out of the corner of my eye. Now, of course, when one sees a huntsman that large, it is important to get the huntsman out of the bathroom so one can continue with getting ready. And so, as I told this story this morning at HH, and I said I came into the bedroom and woke Jace up, he's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, oh, didn't I? He goes, no, you screamed. I went, forgotten that bit of the story. So from the bathroom, apparently, this is how he remembers it, I'm yelling, I mean, just very embedded in their name, right, is fear. They're not called like dancemans or harmlessmans. They're called huntsmans, right? And so apparently I yelled, Jace came in. Now, the next five minutes was quite hilarious because when you're staying in an apartment, you don't have the usual insect killing apparatus on hand. So I don't know what Jace got, but he comes back into the bathroom with a couple of items to scoop this huntsman into something to then get it out of the bathroom. Uh, and as you would know, they're jumping little critters and they can manoeuvre quite quickly. And I was having no bar of it not being in the house. So it was important that Jace got it into something to get it out of the home. Now, what did this mean for the next 48 hours as we stayed in this quaint accommodation? Well, of course, it meant every single time I went into that bathroom, without fail, I could still see this big, fat, hairy huntsman. And I had to kind of manoeuvre myself around and I had to keep telling myself you're okay and I had to be careful what I was thinking as I was standing there getting ready and I had to look out of the corner of my eye because my seeing totally impacted my doing. Now, I was quite pleased to leave there a couple of nights later, return to our Western Australia side of the, this great south land to my own husband-free bathroom. <laughs> But the point of the story is this, friends. What we see impacts our living. And that scene may be real or imagined, may be accurate or inaccurate. It may be aligned with fear or concern or discomfort, or it may actually be aligned with positive things. It may be something that we understand or something we don't. But the point is we can't be blasé indifferent or unaware of what we are seeing. So I would ask you, in this whole go beyond season, as we land tonight, for you to consider how is your seeing. Now what I mean by that is what consumes your focus? What dominates the landscape in your mind? What is repeated in your imagination? What is taking up most room in the photo album of your thinking? Is there a big old no longer there huntsman lurking in the bathroom of your mind? Is there a memory, an idea, a value or a series of these that you actually keep fixating on that are impacting your living and maybe not doing you any favours? Most importantly though, 
how visible is Jesus in your scene? Jesus, how, how much of the focus is he in your purpose, your imagination, your contemplation? And so Paul knows the importance of seeing in terms of this whole focus, in centralising this whole focus of seeing. And it's in our central locating scripture here from Hebrews 12, which is in our booklets, and I'm going to read it here. Now, I want you to notice where this seeing description lands. We're reading here three verses, verses 1 to 3. The analogy here is a marathon race running, that this is actually the discipline, the discipleship work of running our race. And Paul begins by saying we need to throw off a series of things. He then places Jesus in the centre of what we're doing. And then he, and the back end of that, encourages us to consider how to keep running our race. And so I don't think this fastening, fixing on Jesus is in an accidental place because it's so important that Jesus is the hinge point of our focus, the hinge point of our purpose. Paul knows that if we don't focus our eyes on Jesus as we're running this marathon race, all we'll continue to see is clutter and annoyance and effort and imposition. All we'll feel is a sense of striving. All we'll feel is a lot of hard work in our race running if Jesus isn't the central component. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the front throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what of this scene? If it's important for us to recognise what we're seeing, if seeing again forms the backbone of this beyond season, what of it? Well, let's untangle it a little bit more theologically and poetically here. If you've been following along with the devotions this week, you would have seen this continual thread either in your booklet or through QB social media of the daily devotions, this whole essence of seeing again. So the first point I want to bring out in relation to if we are seeing and if there is an importance to us seeing and seeing again Jesus, what does that do? Well, friends, to see is to let the light in. And you see, this weekend gone, just gone for me, was a bit of a rough one. And like many of us, I am wielding and wrestling my way through a number of complex and emotionally taxing scenarios. And I'm actually also trying to better identify emotions in my body. And so I recognised on Monday morning, just gone, that I needed to clear the decks. I could sense a fog within me. I could sense a lack of clarity in my scene. And so as I regularly do, I find delight in walking by the cool, crisp air of the morning by the lake near my house. And I walked in silence and solitude, two of my favourite things. And there was no grand gestures. It was just me and my humanity. And about 20 minutes into my walk, Holy Spirit whispers on my heart, 
What are you preaching about again, Em? Um, seeing? Have you invited me to enlighten your heart today, says Holy Spirit, to clear that fog? Um, no. Well, given your preaching on it, wouldn't now be a good time? Um, yes. I often revert to my four-year-old self when Holy Spirit and I are having a conversation. And so in a tiny little voice, no eloquent, sophisticated prayers, I simply said, Jesus, let me see you again. And there, as I looked on my walk, was this image, which Em is going to bring up. It's not as fancy as Tom's photography, but it's just on my little iPhone. And friends, the ache in my heart didn't shift. Nothing in my circumstances changed. And I would say in some ways, not even necessarily the fog in my mind changed, but what I did was I caught sight of the light. And it flooded my heart again for that upteenth time on this ordinary Monday just a few days ago. And so friends, to see again isn't just a beyond season thing, nor is it just something we do when stuff is hard, nor is it just a passing thought that we do occasionally. To see again is our call as people of faith again and again and again and again. Being those who see again is what sets us apart. It lights us up from within and permeates out. Hear how Jesus describes it in Luke 11. He says, your eyes, the lamp of your body, when your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full as a light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Let's go back to verse 35. How awesomely contradictory does Jesus speak sometimes? See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. See to it then that the light that is within you is not darkness. In other words, see to it then that the light is continually switched on. See to it then that we are posturing ourselves to have fixed eyes, healthy eyes, fixed on Jesus so that our whole being is full of light. And see, friends, this seeing again, this posturing ourselves to let the light in isn't just a once-off altar call situation. It isn't a feel-good, wishy-washy, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. Friends, seeing again is the daily slow work of discipleship. It's often incredibly beige and ordinary. It's often more about discipline. And if we go back to Hebrews 12, it's actually the analogy of running the marathon. 
And so this requires us posturing us, asking Holy Spirit again and again and again that the light within us is not dark. The light is there, friends. The light has been deposited. But we have to lean in and move against our humanity constantly to ask that that light is switched on. Ephesians 1, 17 to 18. Paul would say to the church at Ephesus, he says, I keep asking. Why does he keep asking? Because it needs to continually happen. Because this isn't a once-off situation. Paul is saying, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I love how the Amplified says it, those same verses. Paul says, I always pray that. Didn't just pray it once. Aren't just leaving it there on the shelf. Didn't just pull you down for an altar call and pray it once that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. I'm always praying that the eyes of your heart, that is the very centre and core of your being, may be enlightened. And then the Amplified says it beautifully. That enlightenment is flooded with light by the Holy Spirit. To see Jesus is to let the light in. To let his light in. It's a regular postured work of the Holy Spirit. And so this ordinary Monday that I've just referred to, Holy Spirit was gracious enough to flood my heart, anchor my posture, and I could see that light again. But friends, that whole purpose on Monday wasn't just so that Em could then have a good moment that was all just for her. It was so important that I had that revelation, that I had that conviction myself on Monday just gone because I was coming home to preach prep. And so I needed to have that sense of that not being just about me so that I could return home and I could write this word to bless you, to love you, which brings me to my second point, and that is to see and to see again and again and again is to love. To see is to love. And embedded in the Go Beyond liturgy, which Pastor Nicole read so beautifully at the start of the service, are four of my favourite Jesus interactions. His interaction with the despised tax collector Zacchaeus up a tree. His interaction with the exhausted woman who's bled for 12 years. With the woman who's publicly shamed and then dragged before Jesus in the dirt. And with the marginalised thirsty woman at the well. And in each of those interactions, Jesus sees. But friends, he doesn't just see them. He is present with them. He sees them as human to human, just as we've heard Darren share in that profoundly powerful testimony there, is that there was a scene of the human, the scene of the person, and that scene then compelled Jesus to love, to share love, to be loved, to communicate love, to embody love. And Anthony DeMello, who's a Jesuit priest and psychotherapist, I quite like fancy quotes, he says this, Love springs from awareness, 
It is only in as much as you see someone as he or she really is here and now, and not as they are in your memory or your desire or in your imagination or in projection that you can truly love them. Therefore, the first act of love is to see this person as they truly are. And this involves, friends, back to the marathon analogy, the enormous discipline of dropping your desires, your memories, your projections, your selective way of looking, a discipline so great that most people would rather plunge headlong into good actions and service than submit to the burning fire of this. The first ingredient of love is to really see the other. And you see, so seeing here isn't an I intellectual opinion concept. Seeing like Jesus moves our heart. And so when Jesus has those interactions, and obviously there's a great number told through the pages of the New Testament, but when Jesus sees those people, sees the other, his heart is then compelled and what he does is communicates love. A love that we see embodied in 1 Corinthians 13, which in itself is the most exhaustively powerful, profound list of attributes. Yeah. Jesus here is patient, kind, not envious. He's not boastful. He's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. He protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. He never fails. That is our Jesus. And you see, friends, so when we are fastening our eyes on him, we become like him. We are defined and moved with an intentional, radical love. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But you see, friends, this sort of work is deep, deep down. This isn't a one-hit wonder or an occasional, instantaneous, passing thought. To see like Jesus and to love like Jesus is a deep, profound work. And that's what we're doing as disciples. That's what we're leaning into. That's why we're going beyond again and again. Tish Warren, author of The Gloriously Ordinary, she would say it's far easier to declare a view, recite a creed, or give time to a worthy cause than it is to rid ourselves of resentment, pride, or antipathy. Our interior depths not just our beliefs and actions must be healed and changed by Jesus. And so friends, this work, this discipleship work, this marathon running work, it doesn't come naturally to us as humans. It doesn't come simply and it doesn't come instantly. It's a shaping, transformative work of the Holy Spirit. And so seasons like this in Go Beyond can feel a bit confronting and uncomfortable and gritty. And, and then we can watch profound stories like those that Darren has shared. And it makes us feel in many ways uncomfortable. And that is because Holy Spirit is wanting us to lean into the deep work. And Pete Scazzaro has a beautiful prayer that he prays that I just love. He says, Lord, I have unhealthy ways of relating to others that are deeply embedded in me. Please change me. Make me a vessel to spread, get these mature, steady, reliable love. 
so that those I come into contact with will sense your tenderness and kindness through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Mature, steady, reliable friends. How much is the world crying out for that sort of love? That's not a love you can fabricate. That's not a love that is fickle. That is not a love that is based on emotions. That is not a love that jumps ship when it gets too hard. The work of the Holy Spirit stacks up within us this sort of love that Jesus lived and breathed so that we can then be his hands and feet, spreading that mature, steady, reliable love. So to see again is to let the light in again and again and again. And to see again is to love like Jesus. And as I finish you today, to see again is to move. I want to read the parable of the Good Samaritan told in Luke 10, 30. And it's a very fitting go-beyond parable. And I want to just finish with a couple of points that can be easily missed. Luke 10, starting at verse 30. And here Jesus is replying to the experts of the law who are trying to test him. He says, Jesus, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out ten denarii and gave, him to the, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return I'll reimburse you the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So let's just insert ourselves in the story here, just for a minute, I'm bringing this to a friend, uh, end, friends. But the man is naked, battered, half dead on the side of the road. The passage tells us, Jesus tells us, that the priest and the Levite saw him. They saw him. They saw him. And yet the issue isn't seeing. The issue is in their action. The issue is in their movement. Both saw him, this human. They saw him with human eyes and filtered their own judgment, their own concerns, their own sense of what that might mean for them. The idea of being near an unclean body. They see the inconvenience. They see the interruption. They see this half-dead man as an it rather than a him. And this seeing makes them move across the other side of the road away from him. Their seeing leads, leads to judgment, indifference and avoidance. And yet the Samaritan, culturally the last person in the audience would have expected to be hailed as the exemplary neighbour. Passage tells us he too sees him and yet he truly sees him. His heart is moved. And what the Good Samaritan does is he moves past himself and his own sense of judgment or inconvenience or discomfort. And rather than moving away from the man like the priest and the Levite, he moves towards him. 
You see, to see with Jesus' eyes, postured in love, compels us to move outside ourselves, outside our comforts, our judgments, our convenience, our neatly packaged plans, and instead move towards. To see Jesus again and again is to then move like Jesus. And this compels us towards the other and away from ourselves. And friends, this is generally neither nice or comfortable or convenient. And that's what often go beyond season may feel like. Our beautiful, sanguine, extrovert friend, Bob Goff, who I don't know personally, but feel like I, I do, if you've read any of Bob Goff's work, he says, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. And so our call as believers, as disciples, as marathon runners running our own race is that we would see again and love and then be moved to action. Friends, that is the embodiment of our discipleship work, that it is tangible and seen in what we are doing. But let me encourage you as I finish this. You don't have to do everything. Your call is not to be everyone's saviour. Your call is not to give the biggest amount. Your call is not to rescue all the people in the case of Destiny Rescue. The focus there was on the one, the one. And so what is your call? If we go back to Luke 10, 34, the good Samaritan recognised he had a part to play in this man's story, but he didn't try and do everything. He puts the man on his donkey. Where does he take them? He takes him, he takes him to the inn. Tells the innkeeper, you look after him for the night. I'm going back. I'll pay you for your services. He doesn't try and be the man's entire saviour, the entire rescue. He doesn't go, I can't do everything, so I'm going to do nothing. He instead goes, I'm going to run my race to enable this man to run his. He recognises there is a team effort. We are all called to contribute. We are all called to lean into our race. This is not all the races. This is not everyone's race. It's your race. And so friends, that's what Go Beyond Season is. It's another beautiful opportunity for us to lean into that gritty, glorious discomfort. To lean into a legacy that's been built for 40 years and to remind ourselves that we are those who see Jesus again and again and again so that the light will flood in and flow out. That we are a people then that light enables us to love with a stat in our spirit, work upon work, deep, slow discipleship journey love. And then that love isn't just to make us feel good, but that love then has a movement outside ourselves towards the other as we see them for who they are and recognise our part to play in that journey. And so my prayer is that Holy Spirit will continue to do that work in us. And so worship team, is it okay if you guys come? Are you here ready to go? That would be awesome. Friends, I can get you to get out your Go Beyond booklet. I'm going to now come around a time of faith commitment as I draw this to an end. 
And so as we've heard Pastor Nicole say, there is a number of really important, significant, heart-stamping projects that Queens Beach commits to. Obviously, we've heard tonight the work of Destiny Rescue and Access Hope. I know I was here a couple of weeks ago. And I know that this is your heart, church, to lean into that space. And so around 80% of, of what you give in your Go Beyond Commitments goes towards these focuses here in your location. But then around 20% comes along to the, the bigger projects so you can be part of the mothership too. You can be part of the, the big ideas and the big things and the big reach and, and our movement into the Pilbara and Bali and beyond. And so what we're going to do now is... It's an opportunity for you to make a faith commitment. And you may say, well, why? Why do I need to make a faith commitment? Can I tell you, friends, that Jesus was really into patterns? He told us how to pray. He told us how to remember him with communion. Jesus quite likes patterns because he recognises that if we're left to our own desires and our own thoughts, we'll often not have the priority to prioritise the right things. And so a faith commitment is a financial commitment. It's a way of you prioritising in your heart and your schedule and your treasure where your heart is. It moves it from just being a kind of a good idea and a, that would be great. It actually moves it into an intentional space. And so if you have any questions around that and the way that it works there's a um, frequently asked question page on the Go Beyond website so yes your details are privacy protected you won't be asked at any time but obviously having your details is important so we don't have 11 year olds committing $500,000 to things we need to be able to budget and allocate accordingly right and so it's my prayer that you will lean into this space, that now is our opportunity to see again, to go again, to let the light in so the light comes out, to love but to move in tangible, practical ways. So as this music plays, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now just to ask Holy Spirit, if you've given before, but you feel maybe a prompting to, to go again, if you haven't been here the past couple of weeks and this is your first time, then you've got that opportunity. I just want to linger here for like 30 seconds. Pastor Nicole is going to let you know in a moment how to collect those up. But if you just want to see is this worship place, discuss with your spouse if they're there, it's always a great thing. Start to fill out that card. Let's go again, friends. Let's go again. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.